Pace Line is a production of The Cycling Independent with support from our generous subscribers and from Shimano North America. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Dude, I've got a question for you. We lose daylight saving time this coming weekend. When I found out about that, I knew it was looming. But when I found out about that this morning, um, I don't want to say it was a tailspin. But, you know, there may have been a little... <laughs> little wavering in my flight path upon that news i'm curious will the change of daylight affect you in your your writing life in any way um it will affect me um i mean here we do we go through this little gate and then we get light in the morning yeah for about a month before that disappears (laughs) um (laughs) Overall, I thought the other day I got to charge my lights because it's time. Mm-hmm. It's time for the night moves. You know, <laughs> I got to get working on the night moves. Mm. Yeah. And so, I'm. Uh, yeah. So this is this is actually a signal. Daylight savings is a signal. That I, I got to charge my lights. I got to think about mounting up some studded tires on some extra wheel set somewhere so that I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully I don't lose. I've got a lot of riding momentum right now, so hopefully I don't lose that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I've been out out. In the, it was cold here today. It was 31 when I left this morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, like I always say, uh, the best strategy is to get a little on you as early as you can. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. it's, uh, today we're recording November 2nd. So by, you know, middle of December, I should be, you know, 31 will be like, yeah, cool. Glad it's warm. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, if cold and dark is even well, dark is still clearly allowed. But if cold is still allowed, we'll see how we how we deal with it this year. Okay. Is it, okay. So, is, right. is, are you a more? I think of you as an afternoon rider. Well, uh, ever since I left Southern California and I left all those group rides that left uh, at either six thirty or seven or eight. That's not an either. Um, yeah, I mean, every ride I did was gone by eight o'clock. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I didn't I didn't ride in the afternoons ever. And up here, uh, partly because I'm apparently not wild about riding in 45 degree temperatures, if it's going to be 70 later on. <sighs> yeah, I mostly ride in the afternoon. But also, you know, when I'm busy being dad and I've got my boys here, uh to get them to school on time, I would have to be out the door at like five, five thirty in order to be back here by seven thirty. 
um, or so in order to get them up and have them at school. And uh, apparently I'm currently, and by currently, I mean the last, uh, say, four years, uh, lacking the constitutional will to accomplish that. Just not feeling that ambitious. I get you. I feel that. I, I'm, I, 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 you know, there's that. I mean, in a way, what I face is no different than anyone else who is not active enough. Okay. <laughs> um, in that, I know I would be better off by going for uh, rides every single day early in the morning. You know, because when you go for a ride that early in the day, you're not taking time away from anything or anybody. You're not yet on call. You know, you are, your presence is not required, or at least that's how it worked in my life. And most folks I know, yep. you know, uh, and you know, I just, I haven't figured out a way, uh, to fit that in and be okay with the cold temperatures, knowing that the warmth is coming later on. Look, if it was going to be 46 all day, no problem. I could, I could roll out and it would not be a problem. I don't know what the mental defect is inside of me other than that. The mental defect I have is that I can't ride at 45 degrees if it's going to be 70 in four hours. Yeah. See, I'm, I am, and this may be a mental defect of its own, but I, I think, well, it's 45 now. We should get out before it warms up. <laughs> 75 is going to, or 70 is going to be sweaty. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's true. That's me. I, I, the thing I like about Dawn Patrol with lights or without is that it just sets the rest of the day up. Like, it's very hard for me not to feel mellow after I've ridden like that. Oh, no question. I, you know, I'm not going to argue against that. That is exactly true. Yeah. Right. So the earlier I can do it, the earlier uh -huh. I can burn the, the, the top layer of angst off, <laughs> the better uh -huh. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, all righty. Well, um, why don't we jump in? Well, my my poll this week is actually pretty germane to this topic. Yesterday, I had five meetings. Um, now, yes, I know. I know that is not normally how my life goes, which is why it bears remarking upon. So and Wednesday is normally a ride day. We have a standing group ride. It's either gravel or mountain bikes that leaves around 730 in the morning. Uh, yesterday, however, I had a contractor coming at nine to measure our roof for solar panels. Uh, cool. Yay, Earth. Uh, so then there was the the chance that I could ride at 930 or 10 when that when the contractor left with another friend. Uh, but my afternoon was packed uh, so I didn't see how I was going to be ready for a noontime meeting and then a visit to a client, et cetera, et cetera. I had a 5 p.m. meeting, so I didn't ride yesterday. Um, for most of our listeners, this will sound like any day of their lives. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, my wife was like, I told her I had five meetings. So she shrugged. Um <laughs> But, you know, so when when you're busy, something's got to give. And normally that's your ride or whatever other leisure time activity you might have planned, like eating cake or playing mini golf. I'm not mm -hmm. here to judge you. Mm -hmm. That's not typically how I roll, though. Um, before the pandemic, I worked full time and then some at Seven Cycles, who are a sometime sponsor of our podcast. Mm -hmm. 
And I was overcommitted in three different ways with a chronically ill father, two young kids, and an overpregnant work schedule. Uh, and basically, I crashed and I burned in whatever that was, March 2020. Mm hmm. Uh, my dad died. My brother got cancer and died. My mom got cancer and lived. Yay. Uh, the pandemic shut seven down uh, for a little stretch. Sort of a tidal wave swept over my head. And frankly, being forced to sit at home quietly, just working on TCI, <laughs> turned out to be all I could handle for a little while. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Of course, time passes and heals some wounds. Uh, and even those of us who are pretty comfortable in COVID's muted workflow, uh, we realized we'd have to get back to something like normal again. So I added work back into my life over the last year or two years. And you know how work goes. The more you do, the more wants to be done. Yeah. And that brings me finally to the crucial point of what I want to talk about today, which is how I try to find balance, especially as regards riding my bike. Hmm. Because the bike is a real priority for me. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I see over and over how people in the bike industry stop riding because they're too busy. And it just accelerates this burnout and turns the whole project of delivering bikes to other people into a real slog. Um, mm -hmm. I never want that for myself. I also feel strongly that I have to be riding in order to be writing about bikes and, you know, riding mm -hmm. mean meaningfully. So last Friday, I also had a busy day, but I actually blew it all off and went to the bike park with my friend Steph. Now, I hadn't been downhilling via a lift since a couple sessions at Mount Snow in the 90s. Uh, but there again, oh, wow. I know. Uh, for me, it's 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 important to constantly seek new bike experiences. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I cut out and spent the day rocketing downhill with an unhinged grin plastered across my stupid face. And it was totally worth it, even if mm -hmm. I had to play catch up with some things over the weekend. Yesterday was not that day, though. Unfortunately, <laughs> yesterday I sacrificed my ride and I was uneasy about it. Like, um, like I, I, I didn't, but I was like, maybe I'll put the lights on the bike tonight and I'll ask around and see if anyone wants to go and, you know, see what's happening in the woods, which is usually nothing except riding bikes. Um, I wonder though, like, you know, what, what, for me, what are the criteria? Why, when is too much too much and I just have to let the ride go? And my question for you is, do, I mean, do you do this? How do you figure out the priority of riding over working? And how do you how do you feel about giving up rides? You know, that has changed a lot uh, over the last 14-ish uh, years. Um, well, let, let's go back even further. 20 years ago, if I missed a ride, um, you probably didn't want to be in the room with me. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, and it's not that I was an asshole. Um, well, maybe we should consult others on that, but right. you know, I was just, I, I was uneasy. I was anxious. I was irritated, probably irritated more than anything else. And just, you know, a little distracted. Um, because I, I had this thing looming over me, which was my fitness. I, I was not 
tending to my fitness in this, you know, guy at a grill sort of way, you know, you can't look (laughs) away. Um, and you know, honestly, John, uh, I'm in my late fifties. Uh, the biggest ambitions of my life, um, are my kids and the books that I want to write, not for my day job. This is, you know, this is one of the big things, but, um, writing comes after, uh, kids, uh, day job, uh, TCI and books that I want to ride, uh, right. Um, writing is after all of that right now. And making peace with that has uh, not been easy. I guess that's, <laughs> you know, um, I, to answer your question more directly, I now, uh, I have an easier time letting go of a ride because I've had to let go of all my expectations about my fitness. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to be a fat person. <laughs> it's it's interesting that you come at it from the fitness angle. Um, I think so for, I, I have a work problem, which is that uh, I am, I was gifted workaholism by my, my father. Mm-hmm. And left to my own devices, I will work and work and work and work and work. Mm -hmm. But what happened actually when my watching my dad pass uh, and realizing like, oh, I don't want to waste this. (laughs) Maybe this will tell you everything about where I'm at. I don't want to waste a whole life working. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, uh Uh-huh. Yep. Um, So I sort of swore there that I would I would put more time into joyful things and writing is certainly a piece of that. And I also find that foregoing like once you give up the thing that that does inspire you for things that only just pay you. And Mm -hmm. look, I have the luxury. I have a lot of luxuries in the choices I make about how I spend my time. But there again, it would be disrespectful to the privilege I have to give up too many rides. So I try, I try very hard to keep those things fenced off. And I'm not riding five hours a day every day. I'm not out, you know, I don't think my riding is gratuitous. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are certain, certain stakes in the, in the ground. The Wednesday ride, I do a Friday thing with a friend. I do a Monday. Yeah, there's probably four a week um, that Dynamite. I'm pr- that I'm pretty Dynamite. yeah that I'm pretty product uh, protective of. And I think as I talk to friends, uh, friends everywhere, but also more specifically friends in the bike business who are on this same path and are sort of reclaiming ride time. Mm-hmm. And it's this it's the thing I see bike shop owners over and over again, like during the pandemic, they were like, I can't I got to go ride. And they realized how much that changed their work in mm-hmm. a positive way. Yep. And so they've they've really tried to keep after it. Mm-hmm. And and so I don't care that much about my fitness. Um, 
I just want the joy of riding. I just want to ride. It just, it just, I just like it. Uh, and when you go too many days without doing things you like to do, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to ask yourself what, where are my priorities? So that's, that's the thing that I wrestle with. I wonder how, uh, how our listeners feel about that. And, And because like you, I, I've let go of my fitness Mm-hmm. goals it's not that i'll never have fitness goals again but i i've done all that i've piled mm-hmm. up miles i've gone faster i've done big whatever you know i don't think i have to prove anything there there may be come a time when i'm really interested in being in how fit i can get mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. but right now it's just yeah well i wrote a piece um, today i for, uh-huh Um, so yeah, um, in the past, I very much came at my riding from a, you know, looked at it through a fitness lens, came at it from, you know, what my fitness is. And, um, I think part of my problem has been that as my focus shifted on doing this thing that makes me feel good, um, both in my mind and in my body, there's there wasn't that same crush of dedication to stay at it and so i've you know frankly ever since moving to santa rosa eight and a half years ago i've struggled to figure out what that balance is um once i gave up those group rides that were you know the fence posts in the ground um a lot changed for me and i think Having those uh, those staked out territories um, is just super conducive. I think it's a very, very helpful thing. And I've been looking for ways to try to work that into my life. There's a really fun ride that leaves uh, Monday mornings um, from not far from me. But they don't roll out until like 730 or 8. Um, and it's like, yeah, I can't, there's, I don't have a shoehorn that big. Um, (laughs) you know, I, that would require, you know, negotiations with my boss of like, how about I get up at five and do an hour and a half work. And then I come into work an hour and a half late. Mm. I, I'm not prepared to do that right now. Um, but you know, as we've discussed in the past, every time I've been stressed, I go out for a ride, I come back, and the problems aren't so big. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm doing what I can to, you know, to work with the shoehorn and get them in as I can, but I... As as each year ticks by, I am aware that having a plan and sticking to that plan is super, super helpful. Yeah. Accountability to other people, um, a dedicated ride time. You know, when I had these rides that went off every Tuesday and Thursday, um, we rolled at 635, 640 a.m., my alarm went off at six. I was on the bike by six twenty. I was at the ride by you know six thirty two or so. 
um, having that system is just so efficient. Yeah. And doing things first, the first thing in the morning, you know, I, I think it's really easy to make the case that you're not taking anything that anybody else wants to put used to. No, I think that's true, but I think it's also important to internalize the idea that you are allowed mm-hmm. to do things that, like I, I'm when my kids were young, we, we started getting up at the crack of dawn pre pre crack <laughs> pre crack in order to, to work out or do whatever we were going to do, because there was a real sense of stealing any other time from the kids who mm-hmm. needed us in more or less all of their waking hours. And you get into that mode and you're cheating yourself all the way, all the while or mm-hmm. working around mm-hmm. everyone else. You come third or fourth or fifth, depending on your scenario. And now, I, you know, my, I got one kid in college and one one still at home and he's pretty self-sufficient. So I, I'm I am, as they say in the Senate or the or the the Congress, I am reclaiming my time. And I think <laughs> I think. I think I'm not just I'm cognizant and I look, I have an array of clients rather than a single employer. So my my time is more flexible, but I also feel um, just fine reclaiming my time for my employers, most of whom are in the bike industry. Right. So I'm able to say, well, all of whom are in the bike industry. I don't know what (laughs) other job I'm talking about, but they're all in the bike industry. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to ride bikes and I'm that's just what I'm going to do. So far, no one has uh, given me a hard time about it, but I also feel like uh, when that conversation does come up, when someone says, hey, we need this from you, I'm going to say, well, you you can't have that from me because that's when I'm riding bikes, which is how I get inspired to do the work that you want me to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The thing that I realized relatively recently that I want for myself is I, I just... I want a spreadsheet that gives me assignments and deadlines. (laughs) I, you know, and I don't want to have to put that much effort into managing them. I just want to know what the assignments are and what the deadlines are for everything in my life. Mm. Um, And then I want to be left alone (laughs) to manage all of that, to get, you know, just People can be assured that I will do the thing by the time I've been given. And at that point, I, you know, working writing into my life on my terms will be uh, much easier to do. Yeah, no, I, I think that is right. And, you know, I'm 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 talking about it like I have some things figured out, but I did last week Google why won't people leave me alone? I, 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 I typed that question into Google. So what was the first non-sponsored search result? Um, I, I don't actually know. I scanned them because I didn't expect answers. I think it was just sort of a cathartic rhetorical uh, mm-hmm, exercise mm-hmm. on my part. But, um, I sort of scanned them and I was like, Oh, this is all they're taking my question seriously. And that just makes me more irritated than all the people who keep calling and texting me. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> the Alrighty, introverts then. will never run the show. Anyway, yes, let's move on. 
yeah, we don't want to. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, all righty. Yeah. Well, we will take a break and then come back. We are brought to you in part by Shimano North America and their new GRX 12-speed mechanical group set. Shimano is the originator of gravel-specific components, and the new GRX mechanical is the next step in their evolution. Rooted in simplicity, reliability, and adventure, the new GRX lineup offers three unique 12-speed mechanical drivetrain options, along with unrivaled ergonomics without an over-the-top price. Available in two different one-by chainring options and one two-by chainring option, the new GRX 12-speed mechanical series delivers the freedom to choose how and where to ride. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two to four wheels, as we've discussed in the past. What's your <laughs> pull this week? This week, I have a listener question. It's actually a question from a friend, and this particular friend uh, prefers just to go by C. Uh, they ask, I, I think I think this person did not want to be called out. I got um, you. Yeah, whereas some people enjoy being mentioned, this person less so. Okay, so they asked... Uh, I'm not comfortable on most descents. Uh, I all but white knuckle most of them. How did you learn to descend so well on the road? Were there specific exercises you did or was it just following other riders or something else entirely? I should also mention that this is a, a person who's been a, a an IRL friend. Uh, we have ridden together and um, I did on occasion uh promptly drop this friend on descents <laughs> so uh they know of what they speak i guess yeah so um okay so specific exercises or following other riders or something else it was both of those and more um more than any other aspect of cycling i think going fast down a paved descent is a mind game the mental game of descending is every bit as important as technique sure. uh, based on my considerable experience. And I got to pause here and make the case for this, which matters. I think the mental game is important because unless you're already a skilled descender pushing the limits of your bike, I can pretty much guarantee that you can go downhill faster than you are for the simple reason that most of us never come anywhere near a bike's limits in cornering. Sure. Uh, so, uh, really, first, uh, the most important ingredient in going downhill faster is a matter of just trusting the bike. The bike wants to stay upright, and the faster you're going, the more it wants to stay upright. Um. Now, before I dig into the technical things you can do to improve your descending, I want to acknowledge that not all bikes descend well. Um, though these days, it's really pretty hard to find one that feels nervous. Um, in terms of the bike itself, uh, your position will affect how the bike descends um, and what kind of wheels make a difference. Uh, the heavier the wheels the more stable the bike will feel. Um, 
And thank God we're pretty much all done with deep V wheels. They're all gone now. Because <laughs> otherwise I would have to say, oh, by the way, get rid of those deep section rims. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> uh, okay, technique. Um, and to reiterate, this is for descending on a road or gravel bike. We are absolutely not descending mountain biking in any way, shape, or form. That's a different beast. So first, stay seated. If you're on a gravel bike or on a rough road, you might lift your butt a little bit, but generally in the saddle is the way to go. Um, And that's because good descenders will use their hips uh, and sometimes their knees uh, to adjust their bike's line. Um, Often once in a turn, riders will do all of the line adjustment with their hips or knee. Um, I used to frequently, you know, I would change how far out my knee was so that I could change my arc by, you know, inches. Mm -hmm. Um, Descending in a group, that was, that was what I would do. I would just vary where my knee was as I wove through people on a descent. Um, It's been a while since I've done that. I don't think I would be doing that today. Next, put your hands in the drops. Nowhere else. Not on the hoods and definitely not on the tops. A road bike is designed to descend best with lots of rider weight on the front wheel. Mm-hmm. Not all of the weight, of course, but, you know, as much as you can get onto the front wheel without getting your butt out of the saddle. Um, with your butt in the saddle, you'll get the most weight on your front wheel while your hands are in the drops. Um, when you drop in and begin to feel yourself accelerate, level your cranks. Most turns don't require your outside foot to be down to get through them quickly. With your cranks level, you can shift your weight more easily from left to right and back again. It's this inability to shift the rider's weight quickly that makes many riders uncomfortable on descents, aside from just their overall perception is of, oh, this is too fast. Right. You know, uh, back to the saddle for a sec. Uh, don't just keep your butt in the same spot on the saddle when you lean the bike. Uh, lean the bike, but try to keep your weight over the tire's contact patches uh, as much as possible. This is particularly the rear tire. Um, that's butt is cool. Um, so that means in a left turn, you're shifting your weight slightly to the right. Um, this is precisely the opposite of what motorcycle riders. You know, you see, um, you know, you see the Formula One stuff and whatnot, and they're inside the bike, pulling it down, trying to keep it in that turn. We have exactly the opposite problem. We're just working on traction. Um, And I think that is something that throws a lot of people off. Uh, So those are some technique things to work on. Now for some location stuff. My biggest single piece of advice, uh, aside from hands in the drops, is to find a descent that is challenging, but not terrifying. And here's another important little tidbit. No one gets to tell you which is which. Go on a ride where the sole purpose of the ride is to do that one descent as many times as you can. For that reason, you might not want to take on Lalp Duez. Uh, a descent of a mile or two is ideal if you've got something like that around. Um, you want, if possible, and believe me, I'm aware that I'm describing terrain that does not occur in most of the U.S. 
So you want, if possible, to find a descent with a half dozen turns or more. The point is to have to work on shifting directions and shifting your weight. Uh, getting to know one descent super well will teach you loads about how your bike corners, how long you can wait before beginning to brake, and just when you need to enter the turn. The other thing that helped me years ago was finding terrain that was quick, but not challenging. Um, and this might sound contradictory with the other thing, but give me a sec. So for me, the mountain roads above Nice were a perfect training ground for descending. The roads were all like five and six percent grades. These are the Corniche, the, the roads carved out of the limestone above Nice. I could sprint into those descents and accelerate out of turns and keep pedaling until it was time to drop into the next turn, uh, to begin braking for the next turn. Um, because I wasn't in a situation where I was just continuing to accelerate due to a steep grade. I had really very precise control over my speed. Um, and that's one of the things that makes uh, learning how to descend well on steep roads really hard because you lay off the brakes and you accelerate and you just keep accelerating. And sooner or later, everybody gets that speed of like, I'm just, I'm going to slow down now because this is stupid. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I, for a while there, there was exactly one road where I would hit that speed. There was exactly one road, the one road that almost killed me, but long after I'd been this going This was slower. in Malibu, I assume? Yeah, yeah, yep. Tuna Canyon. There's yep. a stretch there where if you don't touch the brakes, you'll brake 60, and there's an off-camber left-hand turn at the end of that stretch. Yeah. Um, my, my clackers are big, and... Maybe not brass, but they're metal. Um, but they weren't <laughs> they weren't that. Um, so you know, I've had the opportunity to really experiment on a lot of different kinds of terrain. Um, gentler stuff where you're not reaching terminal velocity, it's a big, big help for people. Um, and then finally, yeah, find some riders who are better descenders and get on their wheel as they drop into a descent. But here's the thing, you know, it, you need to be close. You can't be third or fourth in line behind them. Get on their wheel and follow as close as you feel safe and do all you can to mimic their line and break when they break. Like exactly. Um, if you're off to the side so that you can see ahead, uh -uh. no, follow their line. Uh, years ago, I was on a bike tour in the French Alps and there were three riders on the tour who were amazing descenders. One of them was a woman who held a world record in alpine speed skiing, something like 150 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just, just devoid of fear, devoid of fear where gravity was concerned. Um, you know, and there were times where like of the four of us, she'd be in the lead. Um, I often had to sprint to get on their wheels at the beginning of a descent because they were so accustomed to being so aggressive on a descent. I was accustomed to just kind of rolling into it and letting gravity accelerate me. No, they were, they were hammer and tongs at this stuff that taught me loads. They also taught me loads about just how hard you can break prior to a switchback. 
Um, and, you know, in France, a, a right-hand switchback, that's a really tight turn. Right. Um, so you've got to be slow. You know, if you're going 50 miles an hour, you're going to have to get down to like 15, 18 miles an hour to make that turn. Right. Um, and yeah, so chasing them through the Alps on a vacation was holy cow. Um, you know, graduate seminar stuff, uh, couched as fun. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, let me just say, this, of course, was in the days of rim brakes and 23 millimeter tires pumped up to 105 PSI. Right. If you're on 28s pumped up to 75 and you have disc brakes, I, you know, I really don't even know what it is to push that to its limits on pavement. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you'll be able to wait even later to begin braking in that event. Uh, finally, when you're following somebody, look through the rider you're following. And I'm not talking Bugs Bunny transparent stuff. Just, just don't stare at their butt because you'll read them breaking later than if you're looking ahead of them. Um, and I know that this sounds counterintuitive if you're following them exactly. Um, but you can look at the world, at, you know, what you can see of the world around the hole caused by the rider in front of you. You need to be watching that. Uh, you need to look at the terrain as much as possible to educate yourself on how they are reading the road. What would you add? What would I add? I mean, yeah. I am not a very fast descender on pavement. Um, I have, I think, um, I wrote a thing about doing 54 on a mixed uh, pavement and dirt road in Vermont once. Mm -hmm. Um, and the key to that was not using the brakes. <laughs> That's uh -huh. my advice for going fast downhill. Don't use the brakes. The other thing is actually, and I think you're, I think you're, you're sort of exactly right. We reach a velocity where we begin to feel like this isn't, this isn't smart, mm -hmm. but that mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything's wrong. That's a feeling. Mm -hmm. That's a feeling, mm -hmm. you know, and if the bike is stable, um, trust it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really it. Uh, the, the other advice I would give is if you do begin to get a, a speed wobble, uh, try putting your, your knee, uh, against your, your top tube, uh, and see if yeah. you can't settle it. Most speed wobbles, I think come from not enough weight on the front tire. That's partly it. Partly it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And some bikes just have that sort of sympathetic frequency where you reach a certain speed and they will begin to, to oscillate, uh, mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. But if you put, put your knee against the top tube, uh, sometimes you can settle those right down. Yeah. Uh, or just clamping the top tube outright with your knees. Mm. Um, that's something I certainly did plenty of, you know, on the subject of speed walls, uh, you know, it's worth bringing this up here. If someone is experiencing speed wobbles, you know, when they when they exceed a certain speed, say 40 miles an hour. Go to your bike shop. The first thing to do is have them check out your position. Um, yeah, your bar might be awfully high for for what that can allow. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot uh, of stuff about um, fit and the position you can take on the bike, which will affect how fast you can go downhill. Yeah. Yep. And then top tube, uh, top tube stiffness, uh, years and years ago, 
um, the, the folks at Serata undertook to understand why some bikes would, would get uh, a speed wobble um, and some bikes wouldn't. And they would try swapping out wheels and they would try swapping out bars and they would do this and that and the other. And the thing that they came, that they arrived at, um, the thing they couldn't eliminate for, um, and even though this was, you know, anecdotal and not engineering, they found that with some frames, if they hadn't been able to solve the speed wobble by any other method, if they simply pulled out the existing top tube and put in a stiffer top tube, it went away. Well, that's why I say I think that most frames, theoretically, and I'm out of my depth here. Let me own that. <laughs> um, but my understanding or my, my, uh, yeah, my understanding is that every bike, uh, however stiff it is, has a point, a speed point at which it will oscillate. Uh, and most Possibly. of us, and most of us just never reached that speed so we you know we think oh there's no speed wobble on my brake well on my bike we'll go 72 and tell me you know go 85 um yeah 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 because there's a there handling is a bell curve there is kind of a perfect speed for every bike you try to make that bell curve the one of the one of the charges for a builder is to make that bell curve as flat as possible mm. um but you know yeah take a beach cruiser do 25 miles an hour down a hill on a beach cruiser. Um, if that doesn't form your sense of mortality, uh, <laughs> there may not be a lot that can. Isn't that how mountain biking got invented? All right. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to yeah. baseline picks. Yes, let's. All right. All right. This week, mine is a mountain bike tire, the Vittoria Martello Trail. Mm. Uh, Martello mm -hmm. is uh, Italian for hammer, I believe. This thing comes in enduro, enduro race, and e-enduro versions as well, but I'm not cool enough for those. I just got the trail edition, and I gotta say, I love these tires. Shout mm -hmm. out to my buddy Patrick at JRA Cycles for recommending these. I had been running Maxxis Minions for a season or two, mm -hmm. uh, and I was looking for something fresh and grabby, and he told me these were the thing. Mm. Um, I've been riding them for about a month now. And so far I absolutely love them. Um, and okay, this is not an AB comparison with the minions, which is, and the minions are great tires. I really love them. <laughs> yeah. This is also not a, I don't like the minions anymore, but I also had Cush core trail inserts added to my setup when I put the Martellos on. Uh -huh. Um, so I tend to run a pretty low pressure on my trail bike and sort of this new Martello Cush core combination feels so good. Uh, talk to me about what sort of pressure you run front and rear. I mean, you know better than to ask me what the number is because oh, my well, answer sort of low. My answer is pretty squishy. <laughs> pretty squishy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I squishy. asked, I asked, squishy. sorry, everybody. Yeah. Squishy enough that my friends, uh, will roll over and squeeze, give my, give my tires a squeeze and go, really? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that tells me something. We're, we're probably talking 15 PSI, maybe even a little less. That's, uh, -huh. uh I think I'm, I, I think if my gauge is to be trusted, it's more like 18. Oh, that's not that squishy. No, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, um, I find that I friends running like 30 PSI. Uh, no, in the twenties, 
mm. you know, mm. but I'm. Yeah, I don't think it's particularly I'm never I never feel um, I never feel a rolling, you know. <laughs> OK, yeah. Which is yeah. sort of what the lower limit, right? You know, you're right. sort of like, how soft can I go? Well, until the tire starts to roll on the on the rim. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so this new combination, it feels really good. It it manages to give me amazing traction uh, without the squishiness. Uh, I find I'm spinning out less on steep technical terrain. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And the bike is holding better on wet routes and, and the other stuff that makes mountain New England mountain biking so much fun. <laughs> you know, that's such a binary experience. Like, you know, there's a route you've gone over that's always wet every single ride. Right. You've always slipped on it. And then there's the one day where you, you hit it and you just roll over it. And your brain's going like, hang on, hang on. That was entirely different. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there are very specific routes. I can even conjure some to to mind uh, that run across the trail in a way such that you can never not be cutting across them, mm-hmm. right? Like if you are if you are perpendicular to the route, you're not gonna. It's just a bump, mm-hmm. right? And the less perpendicular you are to it, the closer to parallel you are, the slicker and slicker and slicker it gets. Yes. And so there there are some which are very large, always wet and oriented in such a way that, you know, uh, I can I clear many of them, but it's always with a slide and grab. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm finding these are grabby even in those circumstances. So. I'm loving this tire. Uh, it comes in twenty seven five by 2.4 2.6 and 2.8 and then it comes in 29 by 2.4 and 2.6 i'm running with the 29 by 2.6 oh yes that's a whole lot of rubber it is a lot of rubber um it was uh, but i rode my trail bike downhilling last week uh and i was Mm -hmm. very comfortable as you might imagine yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I was Ripley with 2.6 tires. Uh, yeah, you, you were, you were cornering the market on fun. I was, I was. Yeah. So Envy. these are eighty nine ninety nine each at retail. So very not cheap, um, mm-hmm. but highly recommended. If you've got, <laughs> who is the character who says, if you've got, if you can afford it, I have, is that a Ferris Bueller? If you, that if is you've a got the uh, disposable it income, I highly, highly recommend it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That is exactly. Um, yeah. These aren't nearly as expensive as a Ferrari though. So no. Yeah. No. Uh, with the looming departure of daylight saving time, I decided to take a look at some warmers for colder weather. Uh, my pick this week are the arm knee and leg warmers from Giordana. They're super Roubaix ones. They actually make several different warmers. These are the basic ones. It's a, you know, it's a basic Roubaix Lycra in the past. One of my pitches for these would have been that seemingly every bike shop in the U S had an account with Giordana. That doesn't seem to be so much the case anymore, but even so I've chosen the super Roubaix warmers from Giordana for a very specific reason. I hear from friends, especially women, that many warmers are simply too long. Good arm warmers should not run from your armpit to your (laughs) knuckles. Okay? I think we can all agree on this. Um, Of the many warmers I've worn over the years, 
Giordana's run the shortest. And I know that, you know, said with an ever so slightly different tone, that would sound like a knock. It's actually, it's a feature, not a bug. Um, Their arm warmers run from my wrist to a bit more than an inch beneath the short, uh, the sleeve of a short sleeve jersey. That's handy for changeable days because it doesn't take much to hook a thumb under the arm warmer and pull it down. I do have warmers that run from my wrists to my armpit. Mm. And uh, if I put those on, it's because I am assuming that I am not pulling those arm warmers down that day. Yeah, that's a non-starter for me. Yeah. Um, uh, The leg warmers run from the top of my ankle to about two inches beneath the leg of the of an average inseam length bib short. Um, All of these products feature gripper elastic at the top hem and uh, the leg warmers include zippers to get them over your feet. They have a reflective logo. Uh, the arm and knee warmers go for 50 bucks and the full leg warmers go for 70. We will have links in our show notes, or you could just stop by GiordanaCycling.com. There's always that. Yes. I, I'll, I'll double your, I'll double your pick because these are my go-to arm warmers also. Mm. Mm. Okay. Groovy. Uh, all right. That's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on anything we talked about today in the comments. Uh, you know, we will entertain more questions on descending. Uh, and if you think I've said something screwy, um, by all means, speak up, call us on it. Uh, you can leave John alone. I'm the only one volunteering for abuse. No, no, I'll take, I'll take abuse, especially if you're a subscriber. If you've, if you've subscribed to the cycling independent, uh, low level abuse is perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, you know, uh, basic inquiries also. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and Hey, if you stop by, do us a favor, you know what we're going to ask, please subscribe. We have three, five and $10 options as a well, as well as a tip jar for the one time, uh, uh, what do we call that? The the one time effort. One time effort. And and thanks to the folks who have been hitting the tip jar. Uh, that has been a thing lately and we appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. We love you. Uh, even, even if you're not contributing, we love you, but we would love if you did. All righty. Uh, well, until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to the pace line. Oh, wait, wait. We have something to announce. Go We're going to have a special guest host next week. Yes. Yes. Celine Yeager will be back. The fit chick. She'll be back for an episode next week. Uh, Celine and I have been uh, chatting about some, well, book stuff. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, I get the week off and a good listen. Yeah. Alrighty. Thanks for listening to the pace line.